Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You're listening to episode 300 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I cannot believe that I'm at episode 300. I started five years ago in January 2017. And when I started, I never thought I would do it for every single week for all these years. And I'm doing it because I love you and I love doing this. And I wanted to do something super special for episode 300. One of close friend of mine, who's a colleague and we're very close, Dr. Albert Wong, he was my guest for episode number one, because you're always asking for favors when you're starting something new. And then he was my guest on episode number one. 100. And I wanted to do episode number 300 with him as well. And don't worry, we're going to have him on episode 301. But my editor was going out of town. I needed to record things sooner. And I also received tons of great questions from you guys. So what I thought we can do today, I'm going to play some of your questions that you guys sent me. I'm going to answer those questions. I'm going to talk about three things I've learned. And one of them are, are is related to how I changed doing this podcast for five years. And also, as part of saying thank you to those of you guys that you've been listening to this show, I'm giving away one gift card for $100 for Amazon. All you need to do is write us an honest review in Apple Podcasts, Teachers, wherever you're listening to this show and take a screenshot and send it to me. If you have already wrote us a review somewhere, I am super grateful. Like I love hearing your thoughts and input and it would mean a world to me if you can write it somewhere else. So if you wrote it on Apple Podcasts, consider writing it at CastBox or any other place that you can leave a review and you can DM me the screenshot of the review either at my Instagram account at Sexology Podcast or email it to me and you will be entered to receive a $100 gift card if you win at a raffle. We will announce the winner in our episode 302. So make sure that if you're doing this, send it to me as soon as possible. All right, so here is question number one. Hi, doctor. Let me just start by saying that I love listening to your podcast. My question is, I am in a relationship with another female. I am a very sexual active person, only with her, of course, but she isn't very sexually active. Sex is not something that she really cares for. And well, we tend to have some disagreements because I am a person that would like to have sex every other day. And for her, having sex isn't a priority if she were to have sex once or twice a month she will be fine with it so maybe if you could like help us on some tips of how how we can get her to be more sexually active also she tends to be an overthinker and I think this is why our sex life is not as active because when we are intimate she tends to be in her head a lot 
and well it kind of messes the mood <laughs> so how are what are some things that you suggest that we can do to help her out with uh, her overthinking especially when we're being intimate thank you doctor so I heard two different things. One is it seems like this desire discrepancy. And the second issue is this feeling of my partner's overthinking. They are overthinking. They might have been distracted during sex. I wish they were telling me more about how they experience it as a partner. Is it that they are not able to experience orgasm? Is it that they are not present? So I think that would be a great information to have. But I give you what I think with this information. First of all, about the desire discrepancy, it is so common for couples to have this desire gap. Things like our kind of like genetic, our physiological health, our experiences, stressors, all of that contributes to our baseline of desire. I tell people to that like if you want to kind of see where you are with your baseline of desire, kind of think about when you're on a vacation, how often are you having sex with your partner? When things are perfect, how much do you guys want to have sex? And I ask that question from people who are in my office and Sometimes people even have a different answer for that. Like one person is saying that, oh, I wish we could have sex every day when we are on vacation. And the other person says twice per week would be plenty for me. It doesn't mean that they don't like their partner. It's like I compared at times to appetite for food. Some people can not eat for hours and some people want to have a snack every couple hours and some people can have proper meals every few hours as well. So it's just where we are with our kind of like body and our mind. So first I want to know where is our baseline desire? And also it's important to think about if we are not our baseline, what are some of the physiological or psychological bricks that gets in the way of us experiencing desire? For some people, is the kind of a stress, body image, financial issues, all sorts of things that you might not think has anything to do with sex can lower or dampen our desire. Of course, that's something that your partner needs to work on it themselves unless the issue is residing in the relationship. And that's that happens at times, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have clients that they have some history of conflicts, or they had a rupture in the relationship that wasn't repaired, or there have been a recent fight, or there have been some disagreements, and that can impact the partner's desire to have sex with the other partner. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Talking to your partner about what are some of the barriers for them and how can you help them if that's something that you can help. Perhaps if if like their stress is related to household chores, then maybe on the days that you want to have sex, kind of like helping them with the chores can be an option. Or if the kind of like a struggle is with kind of fight that you guys have, going to couples therapy and kind of work on those communication skills also can be an option. So I guess all I'm trying to say is talk to your partner about what gets in the way and work together to find a solution if if they invite you to help them with this. Also, you mentioned that for them, 
there is some challenge with paying attention, being present, and overthinking during sex. So I wonder that there are some other stuff happening outside the bedroom for them. And part of the challenge is them bringing it in the bedroom while you guys having sex. I talk about a number of different strategies and please feel free to share this episode with them. The first recommendation that I have for pretty much all of you guys that are listening as well is to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is a skill that you can cultivate by being aware of the present moment. You're acknowledging all of your feelings, thoughts, bodily sensation, and it can help you to experience buildup of arousal in the bedroom. That's one of the really easy way for people to increase their sexual desire. There was this wonderful study that was done in Canada that we had the researcher on our show a few years ago. And the research study was about how to increase sexual desire. And what they found in that study was that with practicing few weeks of eating raisins mindfully, women in that study were able to increase the baseline of their desire. So all I want you to do is kind of set aside maybe five minutes to start with five minutes. If you've been practicing mindfulness for a while, you can graduate to 10 minutes and kind of like focus on your breathing and practice being present to your sensations. Of course, you're going to have lots of thoughts and distraction, but we are focusing on being in our body and refocusing on our body whenever we notice our thoughts are distracted. In last few years, we heard how mindfulness can help with so many different things inside and outside the bedroom. In the study, I believe the duration they found was 20 minutes. So you want to build up to that. So I would say that if five minutes is too much, practice it two minutes. You're starting with kind of two minutes and increasing the time. And also, like, choose a time that you're doing this practice every day. For the person who sent this question, you can do it with your partner. It could be part of your morning routine that you guys are doing it together. So that's the first recommendation. Because when you learn to note your thoughts and refocus in the moment, that can help you to be able to be more present, experience less distraction and during sex. Also, you have the option of doing kind of practicing mindfulness, mindful touch You also have an option of practicing mindful touch with your partner. The strategy I'm sharing with you is one of the best sex therapy tips and kind of like strategies that people use. It's called Sensate Focused Touch. We had a full episode on that. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you're interested, make sure you're going to our catalog and you're finding that episode. We'll leave the link in the show notes. So what it entails is that you're choosing a time during the day. Could be morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you want. It needs to be kind of a consistent time that you're doing this. The founder of this method, they said, like, do it at least every 72 hours. And it has three stages. And stage one, you take turn touching, caressing, kissing your partner's body and all you're doing, you're paying attention to sensation, texture, temperature, pressure. And when your mind gets distracted, 
you are kind of like refocusing yourself to doing that. You first start from kind of like doing it when you have your clothes on. And then after two, three weeks of doing it on a regular basis, you can do it without clothing. For first month, I would say that you would do this separate from the sexual encounters that you guys are having. The, the idea of this exercise is for, for you guys to be able to focus on the touch and sensation. And as a giver, you are focusing on giving the type of a touch that you like. You're not kind of like guessing what my partner likes. If they don't like it, if you don't like the touch your partner is offering you, you can just redirect their hand. We're not talking during this exercise. But sometimes when I do that with my clients, they have a lot of difficulty with finding or identifying a touch that they like. They know what they, their partner might like. But if you're kind of like focusing on what you like, it can make it much more exciting and interesting. And also it can teach your partner about the types of the touch you are interested in. But that's not necessarily the goal of this exercise. The other invitation I have for you is for you guys to have some ritual before having sex. And hear me out. What what the ritual does is, although it sounds like very boring, it helps your mind to pivot from like the craziness of the day and work. And it gives you the opportunity to transition from the state of mind that was busy and kind of helped you to step into your erotic self and kind of exploring that with your partner. And talk about the rituals that would be exciting for both of you. Some people lit candles, some people kind of have this bathing rituals together, whatever that you find that it gives you and your partner the space to quiet their mind, that that would be a ritual that I think would be excellent for this. The other helpful practice that you can do is I borrow it from tantric practices is doing breathing with your partner. And again, this is a very watered down version of what they teach you, the tantric teachers teach you. But I had clients that they tried it and they liked it. So you're sitting across your your partner, you're doing eye gazing, and you are kind of like first focusing on kind of coordinating your breath together. So you're inhaling together and you're exhaling together. After a few rounds of kind of doing that type of breathing, you can put your hand on chest of their part, your partner and they put their hand on your chest. And when you inhale, they exhale. And when they exhale, you inhale. So like you're doing the rhythmic breathing together. And that helps people to kind of be more in their body and less in their mind. The other thing that you can do is really focus on doing a kind of seduction that they like. Sometimes we have this kind of like foreplay or seduction style that works, like gets the job done, you get mildly aroused, and that's what we do. But if we really want to kind of learn more about our partner and really increase the heat, it will be interesting to talk to them about their seduction style. I know Dr. Jess O'Reilly 
O'Reilly and Marla Stewart in their book, they talk about different seduction styles. So they say that people have visual styles, like your learning style, visual, visual style, auditory style, kind of like tactile style. And when you're kind of like tuning in and doing those things for the partner based on their seduction style, then that, that, that will help them to be more in the kind of erotic mind. Lastly, what I want, I want you to do is kind of talk about what they are at the best place with their desire. This is from personal experience. I'm a morning person. And if I'm having sex at night, I might be more distracted. It would be hard for me to build arousal. But in the morning, I'm, I'm ready to go. So it wouldn't necessarily require any kind of tantric practices for me to quiet my mind. And people are different. Like for some people, the cortisol level gets built up in their body during afternoon, evening, and it requires tremendous effort from them to be able to shut down their mind. So talk to your partner and see what are some of the time that their desire is more and they are more excited about sex and kind of scheduling sex during that time. Let us know how it goes. I always like to hear your feedback and let's answer the next question. Hi, Dr. Muali. I was just wondering, what are signs of an unhealthy open relationship? Open relationships can be fantastic for some people, but like any type of relationship, they might have their own challenges. I'm going to share about a few of them that I've seen in my practice. One red flag, one sign of an unhealthy open relationship is the fact that you're resenting the relationship agreement. So regardless of what type of a open relationship you have, there are going to be some relationship agreement. What are you guys agreeing to do as part of this agreement? What are some of the things that are violation of this agreement? What are, what are the, some of the boundaries that you expect your partner or partners to honor? And I've seen this a lot. So one partner really wants something and they push for it and they negotiate and there's nothing wrong with negotiating, but then they go to pressuring their partner or kind of like kind of leaving condition that's just unbearable. I had people that they said like, me and my children cannot live in this situation because my partner is pounding and they're angry and they're frustrated. Again, because of all of this pressure, then you at one point you say, have it your way, do whatever you want to do. And that's how they got the relationship agreement. I know this way is a little bit extreme, but I've seen people kind of pushing their partner to say yes to things that it hasn't been discussed properly. And now that the relationship is open, you're feeling resentful and angry at yourself, at the partner, at the kind of other partners, because you felt that it wasn't something that you wanted to do. So it's really important that in a healthy, healthy, open relationship, everyone who's part of this gave their enthusiastic consent and they co-created this agreement together. The red flag number two is related to when a couple, they're doing things as a couple, like they're swinging, they do threesomes, they do kind of go to sex parties. And one partner, they have no interest in doing this. They're just going there because they, they want their partner to 
be able to have this experience. There is nothing wrong with gifting your partner, but if you're feeling angry and resentful and there's nothing about this experience that's not exciting for you, then it's it's not a healthy relationship. There are types of open relationships like consensual non-monogamy that one partner would like to explore kind of like the open relationship and the other partner themselves, they're either they're asexual or they're not interested in other people, they choose not to do it. That's different than like you're forcing your boyfriend or girlfriend coming to a sex party because you know that if you're going with a female, you will increase your chance of being being able to attend that event. Third red flag is about double standards. One thing that kind of blows my mind, there is this monogamous one partner open relationship, the other partner agreement that is just so unfair. Well, it's important to keep in mind that what is good for the goose is good for gander. So I, for example, an example of unequal relationship are polygamy relationships. I grew up in Iran. I've seen lots of women who develop deep psychological challenges. It really impacts their confidence when they are in these relationships. I experienced it as a form of operation on women. I know that as psychologists, we are trained to respect people's beliefs, but I've seen so many miserable women in those dynamics that I can, I can firmly say that majority of these women are in unhealthy relationships. And they say yes, and research shows this, that because they don't have resources and that's a culture that they live in, it's not something that they choose. Another one is like having no privacy. And this is a more controversial one, but I, I hear at times from my clients that my partner asks me to tell them everything. Or when I'm talking to the other partner, they need to be in the room. There is something said about having boundaries, right? I think it's it's completely okay if you clear, create agreements about, for example, I would need to know if you're going on a date on certain nights, or I would need to know who are you in a relationship with. But wanting to know everything, I, I find it not a healthy sign of open relationship. I had a client that they were saying that their partner required them to be in the other room when they're having sex with this other person. And it's not like they were finding it erotically charged. That's that's not what they said that was happening. For them, it was about control. They were so anxious that they kind of wanted to have certain kind of control. And that's not a sign of a healthy relationship. There are going to be some emotions that might show up, regardless of how solid your agreement is. But the key is to continue having conversation with your partner about it and feeling safe enough to bring these up and rename negotiate terms with the partner. I hope this helps. And if you guys have more feedback on that, let us know. This is a question regarding performance challenges that came through email. The person said, it feels funny to ask like this, but I'm really curious if there's an answer. Of course, there is a plenty of research of how pornography causes erectile dysfunction and teaches men to climax much faster than desire. However, does that apply to only visual porn you would watch on your screen? Do the same negative effects apply to solely listening to erotic sounds 
as compared to watching it visually. I guess I'm curious if there is any differences in the visual aspect of pornography versus source that relies solely on audio and if there's any good resource I can use to read more into that. Last year around this time, I did a whole month on pornography and I had some of my favorite colleagues, researchers talked about pros and cons of pornography. One thing I wanted to clear is that this this person mentioned that there, there's a plenty of research of how pornography cause erectile dysfunction. I haven't seen any cause and effect study on that. There are people that they report that, but the studies at best are correlational. So again, we cannot say porn, visual porn lead to erectile dysfunction. One thing that was interesting, one of the research studies, they found that, for example, for premature ejaculation, some men, they choose to watch porn and masturbate because they're embarrassed about the kind of like how long it, it takes them to ejaculate. And they rather kind of do kind of have sex alone versus kind of sharing that with someone and being worried about them being disappointed. But to answer your question is that not necessarily porn leading to erectile dysfunction. Some people argue that if you kind of like taught yourself to get aroused, like for example, if you're watching five amazing hot women, the young women having sex, and that's the only way that you learn yourself to climax as you're watching that, it would be hard to translate that to your everyday sexual experiences for some people. My invitation for you guys is to experiment with that. With audio erotica, I I find it even less likely for someone to develop any challenge around that. I I, I tell you why is like my background is actually in is in treatments of sexual addiction, and one of the arguments that those clinicians make is that, for example, if you're watching porn on any sites, you're watching something and through their algorithm, they suggest something else that's like within the same genre. And you constantly get bombarded with these images of fast, quick release. I highly doubt that audio material would have the same effect. There are a number of different apps that the owner generously offered me free subscription that I'm listening. And it's mostly has stories and or even if you're listening to people having sex, I don't think that will be the same impact of constantly getting visual, visually stimulating, seeing the visually stimulating kind of images. I want you to experiment for yourself and see what do you think? Because in reality, most people need something for psychological arousal whether if it's some kind of like sexually explicit material or reading things, or it could be kind of like engaging, doing something with a partner, you need to have that. So there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit help with getting excited. And again, if you're thinking this is an issue for you, then give it a pause for a few weeks and experiment yourself to see is, okay, now I'm switching to using audio material, am I getting stimulated more easily? If I get a, do I get an erection easier? And that could be the yes or no answer for you. But I think the other thing that people recommend at times, some clinicians say that kind of like have a combination of masturbating to your sexual fantasies and also 
porn because you want to be able to access your fantasies if needed when you're with a partner not because not everyone would be open to their partner watching porn i hope this was useful i know it wasn't as black and white as you want but as far as the resources i really recommend you to listen to that series that we had on porn and masturbation as promised, I'm going to tell you how doing the sex podcasting the last five years changed me as a clinician and also personally. First thing that truly changed me is how I approach sex addiction. You heard me, I talked about sex addiction and kind of challenges with sex and porn. When I was in graduate school, I got some my first training on sexuality with someone that's fantastic. They have a really big center in LA and treatments of out of control sexual behaviors or they name it sex addiction. I found that approach, the treatment they offered was fantastic. But my experience as a sex therapist later on was that these individuals, it was really hard for them to have healthy sexual experiences. It seems like throughout this kind of like treatment, most of these people kind of like get disconnected from their sexuality. Maybe you stop doing what, what you call as kind of sex addiction, kind of as a compulsive behavior. But now like you're not like you're in sexless relationships. And I thought I thought that was not the way to go. And when I got training through kind of like ASAC for a sex therapy, I learned that it's really important to focus on the why. Why people are engaging in these behaviors, whether it's watching porn, whether it's kind of like going on, kind of doing risky sexual behaviors. And for people are very different. And diagnosis of that, the assessment of that is the bulk of the work. And that's why I recommend people to go with a licensed mental health professional that they're able to diagnose what, what was happening. Is it a bipolar? Is it OCD? Is it high anxiety? So when you're treating the underlying issues, they're actually their sex life becomes significantly better. So that was the first evolution I had around when I started this podcast because it gave me opportunity to talk about sex and porn and addiction with people from all different kind of like practices and disciplines. When you listen to my earlier episodes, I certainly have episodes on sex addiction. I still think that those interviews are great. I love the colleagues that they were part of that journey with me. But again, I think that the approach of assessing and identifying why people are doing that and that approach that like sex therapy community engage in is something that resonates with me better now. The second transformation I had was about learning about kinky fun things. Like when I started this podcast, I knew about common kinks and fetishes, but we cover lots of very interesting topics around kink and fetishes and make sure you are checking those out. So it helped me to broaden my perspective of the kink community. And third benefit of it, which is the most important one, is I got to, I got a chance to be part of this journey with you. Before you're thinking it's cheese, it's truly how I feel. I met some amazing friends from doing this podcast. Like, if you know me, I'm a little bit like outside the podcasting. I'm, I'm a little bit shy and I'm a little bit reserved. But because of doing this podcasting gig, I've been putting myself out there. 
And I found that there's a galaxy of very cool, interesting colleagues and listeners that I became friend with. Whenever I do a survey at times, I invite people to do a 15, 20 minutes call with me so we can talk about how I can help you better in the podcast. And every single person that I met so far, I met with dozens of you guys, are amazing, incredible, interesting people that I can be friend with. So it is such an honor to be able to be invited in your homes and your work. And by kind of listening to this podcast, that's how I feel. Like you're inviting me to your mind and your heart. And I don't take that lightly. I'm super grateful for you. At the end, I want to remind you to make sure you are writing the reviews. The chances oftentimes is quite high when I do raffles. So I hope you win the $100 Amazon gift card. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.